I'm guessing when you were a kid, you heard the same question I did time after time after time. What do you want to be when you grow up? Remember getting asked that question? Richard, what did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> Probably like most people. Janice, do you remember? A teacher. A teacher, which you did become. How about that? How about you, Betty? I didn't know when I was little. No. Coretta, do you remember? No. No. Anyway, how about Bill? Hadn't been that long ago. Astro astronaut. An astronaut? How about Eugene? A teacher. A teacher. A fireman. A fireman. A nurse. A nurse. And we have several teachers up here on the front row still. Um, I won't ask you all. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I realized that if I became a veterinarian, I would actually have to hurt animals to help them. And I was, that didn't work. So um, there was a little boy named Billy, and his teacher said, Billy, what do you want to be when you grew up, grow up? He said, possible. <laughs> and he, the teacher said, what do you mean, possible? He said, well, my mom's always saying I'm impossible, so when I grow up, I want to be possible. <laughs> Some of you will remember Pam Johnson, who was a member here, an adult member here for a while, moved out of town. She said when she grew up, she wanted to be Arlene Stoller. Well, we think about who we are now, not just about who we wanted to be. Jesus' blessings and his woes are addressed to who we are. He speaks to the present. Now, we have several other lists of blessings and woes in the Bible. Um, the most popular is from Matthew 5. Can you think what that would be called? Blessed are you who? Yeah, the Beatitudes. That's, there are nine of those. There are just four in Luke's version. His, his, Luke has Jesus on a level place. Matthew has him on a mountain. The, the differences are interesting. Uh, another difference between them is that um, Matthews are sort of spiritualized in the sense, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Luke's are more direct. Blessed are you who are poor. Just very interesting. His blessings and woes are based on what we do. Excuse me, based not on what we do, but on who we are. You can be anybody, anything in a career. You can do anything that suits your gifts. You can make a budget. You can answer a phone. You can teach a class or you could conduct an interview. But who you are is different from what you do. And that who you are affects what you do. Who we are could include adjectives like thoughtful, compassionate, or ambitious. Jesus uses opposing words in this segment to describe people like poor or rich, hungry or full, weeping or laughing, and sometimes we even find those opposing things or opposing things within ourselves. Sometimes we're greedy and sometimes we're generous. Sometimes we're selfish and sometimes we're selfless. Sometimes we're proud and sometimes we're humble. Who are you? And do Jesus' blessings and woes speak 
to who you are now? Well, we'll come back to that a little bit, but after this, these couple of paragraphs of focus on who we are, then Jesus moves to what we do because we're, we're sensitive to the fact that who we are inside affects our behaviors, affects our actions. How do we act or react even when we are poor, hungry, crying, or friendless? And Jesus says, without retaliation. As you've probably heard, if we stuck with the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth rule, we would end up living in a world full of people who are blind and toothless. The scandal of Jesus' propositions is that it's a complete reversal from what people knew and even sometimes what they experience inside. Rob Moore told church leadership last weekend that in the United States we're now living in a post-Christian society. If you didn't sense that already, we Christians are now the outsiders. 50% of the people, he said, in the United States are unchurched. And he delineated that between de-churched. He said not de-churched, meaning they've gone to church and they've decided to leave, but unchurched. They've not been in churches. They don't know what we do in here for an hour on Sunday mornings. So now we're like in a counterculture, very different from when most of us grew up. My mind goes back to the powwow that those of us who went on the mission trip attended this past summer. A powwow was very different and foreign to those of us who were watching it as outsiders and not understanding the language or the dancing or exactly what was going on. But that's a way that the American Indians maintain their culture. Now, if we Christians are to maintain our culture, there are certain things that we need to do as well. A publication from the Auburn Institute suggests these. Prayer, worship, forgiveness, weekday spirituality, hospitality, compassion, leadership in congregations and in daily life, that all of these are activities that deepen our relation to what we hold sacred. Christian practices, practices like this form a way of life. Form, you think about a potter's wheel, form a way of life through which faith takes form and becomes embodied in our bodies in the world that we share with others. Now Jesus kind of wraps up his statements by what we know as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He wasn't the only one who said it. The Interfaith Prayer Breakfast brochure for several years had um, this, a, the same or a very similar statement from all of the major religions around the world. So it's, it's across the board. I tried to use this as a moral lesson on Friday afternoon with Noah. Noah is five and was looking for a bag of spittle, Skittles 
um, from his Halloween candy. And so he went upstairs to his room to look for his little plastic bucket. And the bucket was empty, completely empty. It wasn't just the Skittles that were missing. Everything was gone. Well, it wasn't his little sister. It was the dogs <laughs> who the, the, the bucket had been left out and um, the dogs took advantage of it. And so then that meant the only bag of Skittles in the house was his sister's. Well, no, now, <laughs> he took the Skittles to Lauren when we picked her up at preschool and told her what had happened, and she shared her Skittles with him. I know, isn't that sweet? Um, but th what I, the reason I wanted to use that with him, this do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is because so I could say to him later, remember when... Remember when this happened, because he's going to be asked to do the same thing for her someday. There's a Japanese proverb that says, the cat is a saint when there are no mice about. <laughs> Who are you, and what do you do when there are no mice about? What we do and who we are reflect the one we call Savior and Lord. That means we're not our own lords and saviors. It means we'll be victimized, made fun of, perhaps one day even tortured for our beliefs. There are two pieces of good news in that. One is that our reward is in heaven, Jesus tells us. The other is that we'll be in good company. The writer to the Ephesians talks about the communion of saints. We sang that in one of our earlier hymns. And we listen to the names of our saints who have died in the last year, folks from Calvary Baptist Church, as they now enjoy basking in God's glory we join them as we gather together today in worshiping God, in basking now, this very moment, in God's glory. It's not just distant. It's not just a later reward. It's now. This communion that we have with the saints that have gone before us who now surround us in spirit because they are a part of God. They are with us here, even as Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is with us here. It's a powerful image, this communion that we have with the saints. You know, nobody I asked this morning when I said, what did you want to be when you grow up? Nobody said, saint, a saint. Huh. Well, I wouldn't have either. But I think that that's something still to which we can aspire. That when someone says, maybe not what do you want to be, but we might think about whom do we want to be like? And then we can actually become a saint for someone else 
Saints aren't Jesus. They're not a perfect person. They're ordinary people with the same foibles that we have. They just knew how to use their gifts well. They recognized the gifts that they had, and they used them. They had shortcomings, just like we do. They had addictions or jealousies or control issues or bad breath. But they still are our ordinary saints. A couple took their young son with them on a trip to Europe where they did the typical tourist trek of going through and looking at all the cathedrals and then seeing in the stained glass windows all the saints. And so someone asked when he got back if he had learned what a saint is. And he said, yeah, a saint is a person who the light shines through. I like that image. So your questions, your, your questions of your spirit during communion and this week ahead are, who are the saints that God has given to you? Who are they? And whether they are alive or dead, how might you be able to thank them? And then third and last, what might you need to change so that one day you can become a saint for someone else? Let's pray together. God of love, you surround us with your love and your power and with the saints, people of faith and boldness who have gone before us and who now care for us through you. Lord, help us to have the courage and the boldness to be like them in the way that they worshiped and in the way that they served you with their own unique gifts. Thank you, O oh God, for these saints, for their presence in our lives, and especially their presence around this table of communion. We pray in the name of our Lord Christ. Amen.